was. Ready? Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Welcome to the Table podcast. My name is Sean. And I'm Khalil. And we are exploring a different theme or a different type of wow. We are exploring a different set of... No, I don't know what we are exploring. (laughs) Something new. Ah, thank you. See, that would have been easier. And we are exploring something new. But before we get into that, if you have found this podcast to be beneficial to yourself, we would love it if you'd rate and review it. Also share it with some friends, maybe even gather around the table with a few people and discuss and dialogue about it. And the five-star button, it works. Mm -hmm. It is uh, available to you. And we love a review as well. And really appreciate that. But anyway, Khalil, we are diving into something new. Totally new. In fact, we are going to be talking about attributes of God. And this is another segment of the show that we want to introduce as we explore uh, cultural conversations and spiritual disciplines. It's been a fundamental part of the show. We want to talk about the attributes of God as well. And you might be wondering, what are the attributes? Why attributes? Well, here's the thing about attributes. It's important for us to know what God is like because it is hard to worship a God that you do not know. Right. Uh, who God is affects who we believe that we are as his image bearers. And who God is affects how we live and how we engage with the world around us. It affects how we worship. And so mm-hmm. the thing about attributes is that attributes reveal character. They, they reveal the truth of who someone is. For example, right. if you know someone that you would say they're kind or they're generous, they're a gentle person. Or maybe they're angry or grumpy or unforgiving. Maybe they're rude. When we think about someone's attributes, we're talking about the most essential elements of who they are. And if we think about God's attributes, then we're thinking about the essential elements of who he is. And his attributes never change. So they are really important. If we think of them like Legos, right? His, or as we think of his attributes as blocks that we put together, then when we put all of these attributes together and we understand them, We build up a clear picture of who God truly is. And when we understand who God truly is, it'll affect how we worship him. And and one of the problems I think exists in our current world is that too many people start in their thoughts about God with their current circumstances or what they're going through right now. And they go, oh, if I'm going through this difficult thing, this hard thing, or this thing that seems unfair, then God must be blank. God must be unfair. God must be unkind. God must not care about me, God, etc. But if we start from the top down, if we start with who God is and his attributes, then we look at our circumstances in our life totally different. And we go, well, because I know God is this way, then this is what is true about my circumstances. This is right. what is true about my life and who I am. And so, for example, if God is loving and compassionate, then when we think about difficult things we're going through, We know that our circumstances don't exist because God does not love us. And so a right view of who God is will affect what we believe about him, what we believe about ourselves, and how we walk through this world. Yeah. And oftentimes I I even find myself reading the scriptures through a lens that's false or Mm -hmm. it's skewed um, towards my whatever, my cultural bent, whatever might be pop or in or normalized within a culture or subculture. And so sometimes we actually have a view of God that isn't even what God says he is. Or even as Timothy Mackey would talk about, who is this God that we are talking about? Because 
everybody, literally everybody could have a version of God that's probably not even true or skewed. Totally. If you asked anyone just who is God, you're going right. to get a number oh, of different man. answers and responses. And we might even start there and simply say, if you were asked to describe who God is, where would you start? Right. What would you say about him? And this is important because what we think about God will affect who we think God is. And like you just said, Sean, a false view of God may keep us from worshiping him rightly. Totally. So if we're to describe who God is, then it's really important that we have to affirm only, and I repeat, only what God says right. is true about himself. And that means it's not what I, you know, when it's not what I think, oh, I think God is this way, or I think God is this. And that's what we'll normally hear yeah. when we talk to people. Well, I think God is this. But we're not going to focus on what we think about God. We're going to focus on who God says he is because we know his word is true and it is trustworthy and he reveals himself to us. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Uh, James Henley Thornwall, he's a 19th century American uh, Presbyterian preacher. He writes about this and he writes about the incomprehensibility of God. If we remember God is infinite, he is so beyond our ability to fully grasp or understand. But when he's writing, he basically says, though this is true, he says, through the finite, God has given manifestations of his incomprehensible reality, which, though not sufficient to satisfy the demands of speculation, are amply adequate for all the ends of religion. Mm. And what he's essentially saying there is that even though God is beyond our comprehension, even though he's infinite, uh, even though we, we continue to speculate about exactly what God is like, because there's elements of him that we just cannot fully understand in our finite minds, God has still revealed himself in a number of ways that we truly can understand in order that we would know who he is and what he says about himself and what is true. And so those manifestations that Thornwall is talking about can really be summed up in and through God's word. And so that is where we will find what we are to say about God through these episodes. Yeah, and it's good. We won't do it here, but the comparison between the God of the scriptures, what he says about himself, what he has revealed to all of humanity in comparison to other gods, other stories of gods, is absolutely different, completely different. So what we will do is with when it comes to the attributes of this God, we want to do four things. We would like to explain the attribute, show how it is revealed in scripture and how it is revealed in Jesus is the third thing we'd like to do. And then how do we live differently because of it? What does that look like in the day in and the day out? And so for this first attribute, we decided to tackle God is Trinity. Yeah, the craziest, <laughs> weirdest, hardest one possible. The, the, the attribute that's been debated over church history <laughs> literally for over 2,000 years. Yeah. And we're going to try, and we're not trying to get it all figured out. We just hope that this is helpful to help you continue to think and to study and to read and to research. And, and really, more than that, just to fall more in love with this God Absolutely. that we serve. So, yeah. What we do is we, but we do say, that as followers of Jesus, uh, pretty much across the board, that God is triune. Mm -hmm. God is triune, which means that he exists in as one God in three persons. That, that, that personhood is very important. So one God, three persons. And so it's important to note that Christians are uh, monotheistic or monotheist, which means we believe in only one God, not three gods, but one God. 
Yeah, so we worship God as one. There are no other gods that we worship, but we also celebrate and acknowledge that he relates to us through three different persons that comprise his being. And so like Sean said, we're not going to answer all the questions here, but we want you to help everyone see God more clearly because we believe as you see God more clearly for who he has revealed himself to be, it'll grow us in adoration and just awe for him. So I just had this image in my head of like when you're staring at water and you're trying to see the reflection, if someone dropped some like a rock in that water and you got all those ripples, you can't see clearly. Mm -hmm. But as the water calms and it stills, suddenly you get this clear picture. And that's what we're hoping to do is just bring a slightly clear picture. So God exists as one God in three persons. It's confusing, but we hope to show you a little bit too of how this is revealed in scripture because scripture does show that God is one and it's a, a central tenet of the faith, but a central tenet of the Christian faith and something that sets it apart from other religions is God's triunity. Yeah. And I even try to help with making it very practical. I am Sean Silveri. I am a human. I am one being, but I carry on different persons or different roles within that human being. I do not talk to my wife the same way as I talk to my six-year-old son. And so I am also a father, but I am a husband too. And so there's one being, I'm a human being, I'm not any other kind of being, but I also have multiple persons or there's, I operate in different roles as well within my being. Yeah. And so- And you may have heard other illustrations like with water, right? There's ice and liquid water and water vapor. You may have heard the egg metaphor. There's like yolk and egg white and shell. And all these are illustrations that people have tried to come up with that can help us understand how something can exist as three and still be one. And yet all of these illustrations completely fall short at some point too. So they should help us understand that there's a, our brains can grasp that this is possible in some way. And yet it falls short of who God truly is. But Sean, how does the scripture show us God's oneness? Yeah, so right out the gate, you can obviously look at the God revealed uh, in the scriptures begins in Exodus, I believe Exodus 3 is where you can start. And this is uh, Timothy Mackey and Nabil Qureshi who writes a book called Seeking Allah, but Finding Jesus is a whole chapter on triune or God as Trinity. But there's a lot of good information out there. But then you move from that Exodus passage to the Shema, which is a fun word, and where it's uh, Deuteronomy uh, 6, really the whole chapter, but we'll start with 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that word Lord is in the Hebrew would be Yahweh. And so it in your Bible, it's all caps, which means that it is referring to this one particular God that was revealed to Abraham, that was revealed and that obviously even predates Abraham. Okay. So, so the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And then he goes on to talk about in these words that I command you shall be on your heart and so on and so forth. So it's this, this prayer to give your entire being to this particular God that was revealed, not just to Abraham, but to, to Moses, uh, which is that Exodus passage and David and Joseph and so on and so forth along the line of all the way through the lines of the Kings to Jesus, who then reveals uh, God in human form, which 
uh, is a whole nother conversation. So there you have the Shema, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus himself affirmed this, that God is one. He never sought to erase this or to say, nope, God is three. He affirmed this. And yet when we look at New Testament scriptures, like second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And this is one of many examples where we see the the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God, the Father, and the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, all given this deity ascribed to them and all in relation with each other. One of the there's an old manuscript of Genesis chapter one that that's basically it begins by saying, In the beginning, God the Father by the firstborn created and the spirit hovered over the water. Right. And so we don't have that in our scriptures right now, but there are manuscripts that demonstrate that even in the very first verse verses of the Bible, you have the Trinity present, God creating through the firstborn, that language, and then the spirit hovering over. So through the scriptures, we also see that God exists as these three persons in relation to one another. And the Bible ascribes that deity to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father, there's several different scriptures like Romans chapter 15, verse 6. Maybe we'll put some of these in the show notes. The Son is given that deity, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The Holy Spirit in Psalm 95, verse 3, uh, 8 8 and 9 as well. And several other spots. That's just a, a short list of them. But since the scripture ascribes divinity to three persons and yet also adamantly is affirming that there is only one God. Early Christians, as they began to try to wrestle with and communicate this, this theology or this doctrine, began to use this term Trinity. And this is also where Judaism and Islam, there's many spots, but this is where they diverge. And Judaism does not affirm God as Trinity. And Muslims, though, have many of the similar scriptures and history also do not affirm this. And uh, when talking with my Muslim friends, that's where I found a huge barrier in talking. Right. They couldn't even comprehend how I could be talking about God, but talking about Jesus. Or I just had a friend who said, one of his uh, Muslim buddies told him, hey, make sure you're only praying to God and not praying to Jesus. And so this is distinctly Christian. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the, where the, where the Jewish people would disagree is they don't believe, unless you're a Messianic Jew, this, that's different. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Messiah. And, and so there's divergence there. And really triunity means that whatever is true about the father is also true about the son, which is also true about the Holy Spirit. So for example, if we say that God is all powerful, which is omnipotent, Mm -hmm. we're saying that all three persons are equally powerful. A great graphic we obviously, because we don't do video right now, (laughs) is on got questions. If you go to Got Questions and then look up the question, what does the Bible teach about the Trinity? There are a, there's a video there and in, in a really helpful graphic, I, we would point that to you guys. Mm-hmm. We point that in the show notes and everything so you can check that out. But it literally means that if one is one way, has a certain characteristic about them, then the other is as well. It's one being, yet three persons. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really cool about this is, yeah, we're talking doctrine. It might seem like maybe it's going over your head a little bit. You're going, what? This seems like the least applicable episode that I've listened to so far. Well, stay with us because our goal is to always take 
some of these complex ideas that maybe we're being introduced to the first time and then boil them down into a way that it actually affects how we live right. in day-to-day life. And I would just think, encourage us that through Jesus, the triunity of God or the Trinity of God is actually revealed. And this is where things get really interesting because while you read the New Testament or you read your Bible, all of the outworks of God can be attributed to each of the three persons of God. Mm-hmm. And yet, as you read certain works of God, depending on what they are, can sometimes be attributed more specifically to one of the three persons. So for example, God the Father is the one who sent the Son of God, who sent Jesus to the earth to redeem sinners. And he's the architect who actually determined and decided what type of body Jesus would be putting on when he came to this earth. Yeah. And yet the actual forming of Jesus in the womb of Mary his human nature is formed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. And it, that's why the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit conceived uh, right. Jesus within the Virgin Mary. And yet at the same time, the decision to take on human flesh was a decision that belonged to the Son entirely because, as the scripture says, he, he does all things freely and willingly. Right. So even in Jesus's uh, incarnation, the very moment when he comes into the earth, we see a Trinitarian relationship. Right. God the Father orchestrating it, the Holy Spirit being the power that produces it, and the Son being the one who freely and willingly embraces this human body that he will, he'll be walking in. Right, which you can obviously see throughout the life of Jesus, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane mm-hmm. and the prayer there, that he continues to have this freedom whether or not he will go about on this mission as god in human flesh or he will if he will forsake it and it's you you see it tethered throughout the scriptures so i even think of matthew chapter 3 is one of those other prominent points where jesus chooses to be baptized and it says the holy spirit descended like a dove and the father spoke from heaven saying, this is my son in whom i'm well pleased so throughout the scriptures and throughout church history it's everywhere But then the question, of course, we start asking is, okay, so I worship God, right? I am a follower of Jesus. I believe Jesus has saved me. Maybe you don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you do. We know that this Holy Spirit dwells within us. But then how does this begin to affect our day in and day out lives as followers? And I think you kind of touched on it right there is that it, it should, if we really think on it and think through it, it should stir our affections to know more and our affections for this God. And so it affects how I live. If this is the truth, then what does it say? What does the scripture say about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is empowered, uh, Jesus, and he's empowered the first followers and those first disciples, then I too have that same access to that same power. And so what would I do if I walked every day knowing in the knowledge and understanding of this God, how would I risk in a way that's healthy? How would I treat people? How do I just go down the line? If this is the God I'm serving, if he is triune, if the Holy Spirit is with me and the example for how I can live is in Christ and God has orchestrated life to be the way it is and he's in control and he is sovereign then man i should walk in confidence and boldness and forgiveness and on and so i know that's a thirty thousand foot view there we'll get a little bit um more specific too here well i think too when i think about the trinity of god it's one of those 
it is the primary doctrine that confuses me. Yeah. It, it, it's something that I think, man, this doesn't fully make sense to me. I almost don't totally understand. And I think that is actually very important. And I think that is a good thing because a God that can fully be comprehended and understood by my small, finite brain is not a God worthy of worship. And the Trinity shows us that God is not some man-made figure because no one would craft this theology on their own. One, I don't think I ever would come up with something like this. But two, if you're trying to frame or form a false religion, you're not going to create a God that confuses people. And so I think it also affirms us that there is a God who is infinitely beyond us and infinitely beyond our comprehension, who no human being could ever form or make or create on their own. And if there is a God who is above our comprehension, then there is a God that has wisdom beyond my wisdom, who has knowledge beyond my knowledge, who has some attributes that are vastly outside of myself. And if there's a place or a person who I'm going to go to when I need help or I need wisdom or I need guidance, it's going to be the God of the Bible because mm-hmm. he is a God unlike any others who people claim to be God. And yeah. And I think that is a really strong reminder if you're questioning your faith or you find yourself wrestling at times to just remember God's triunity and how much that boggles your own mind may give you some confidence uh, in God's reality as well. Yeah, and some humility in that if we were to figure all of this out, if I'm to figure out this God, even within half of my lifetime, then is he really worthy of my worship? And I'm just not too sure that I could answer that question with integrity. Yes. Or oh, I, and I would like to go back. This just hit me. I'd like to go back. I think I miss said a couple of things earlier where I said that pretty much all Christians agree upon that God is triune. It may sound like there is a lot of disagreement within it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to give the impression that we're all on the same page. Yeah. There's a lot of and there's been a lot of debate about this doctrine over the course of 2,000 plus years. Part of it is because of this very thing here. We cannot fully comprehend this God. We cannot fully understand, but that doesn't mean there aren't some things that we can understand. And it's good to really latch on to, to, to things that we can grasp and grab. Just to encourage you all. Yeah, but I would say there too, Sean, that affirming the deity of the Holy Spirit Affirming the deity of Jesus and the deity of the Father are essential to the Christian walk. If Jesus is not God, then he does not have the ability to be the propitiation for our sins, to be our our sacrifice. So if the Holy Spirit is not God, then he does not have the power to help us. If the Father is not God, then who who are we worshiping? And so those are essentials for us there too. And it falls apart. And that's some of the, those earlier debates and councils and like an Irenaeus and Athanasius and some of those other church fathers, they really advocated for this theological concept of triunity because of what Khalil just said. If that is not true, if Jesus's death was simply a death, if he didn't resurrect, if he hasn't done the things that we believe that he's done, then it's stripped of power. And so then I can't walk in power. I can't walk in the power that he has, that he had when he was walking on earth as well. So 
So to boil this all down and get really practical, how does this affect our daily lives? How does this affect the way we worship? How does this affect how we relate with God? Well, whether it's in our private lives, just you on your own, or in our corporate worship with other believers, it's important to know that our relationship with God is Trinitarian. That means that our communion with God can be in many ways with different persons of the Trinity at different times, yet all with one God. And there's a great theological mind. His name was Thomas Goodwin, and he wrote about this. He says, sometimes we have relationship with the Father, then other times with the Son, and then with the Holy Ghost. Sometimes his heart is drawn out to consider the Father's love in choosing, and then the love of Christ in redeeming. And so again, the love of the Holy Ghost that searches the deep things of God and reveals them to us and takes all the pains with us. And so a man goes from one witness to another distinctly. We should never be satisfied till all three persons lie level in us and all make their abode with us. And we sit, as it were, in the midst of them while they all manifest their love unto us. And so we remember that as we relate with God, we commune with God the Father in his love. We thank him and we praise him when we we remember who he is, his holiness, his goodness, the fact that he chose to redeem us. We thank him for his life-changing love for us. And then we relate to the Son when we commune with him and receive his grace, remembering that as we see in the Gospels that Jesus is gracious with us, that he is the one who receives us and through whom we receive the love of God. He's the one who showers us with the grace that transforms our heart and our souls and makes us new. And then we also commune with the Holy Spirit as he comforts us and as he ministers to us, or as Jesus says, he calls him the helper. So as we relate to the Holy Spirit, he's the one who helps us. And we call upon him for the power to overcome temptation. We call upon him for the power to be made new, for the power to persevere and to persist. We never walk in faith by our own power, But we ask the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us to be the power that changes us. And so in that way, we are relating with all three persons of the Trinity. And in our prayer life, we also engage with this triune God because we come to God the Father as his children in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need all three persons of the Trinity in our daily life to live the fullness of life that he offers us and to experience God in the amazing way in which he has revealed himself. Yeah. And this is good news. This is good news for us to know when, when Jesus does his high, high priestly prayer, he does his farewell discourse starting toward the end of John chapter 13, all the way through 17, basically. He talks about the importance of the Holy Spirit being left to guide, to empower, to lead the church as, as a whole, all followers of his. And if Jesus felt it was so important to do so, if he elevates the spirit to that in our lives, over our lives, then what does it look like for me and for you and for we to engage the spirit in conversation and prayer? to engage the spirit in saying, what are you doing right now, Holy Spirit, in the world that I can be a part of? Part of what the triunity is, part of this attribute is that I get to be a part of what this God is doing in the world. And it's 
by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, orchestrated by the grand architect, archigos in the Greek, creator God. Wow, I get to be a part. I'm not some peon that just is sucking up air, just waiting for myself to get a paycheck and then go to dust and whatnot. But my life means something. It has meaning because of this God. So, Yeah, and so here's maybe a first step for you that I was just thinking of. If you have not thought about the trinity of God or the triunity of God, as you read your scriptures and read your Bible, mm-hmm. look for the work of all three persons yeah. uh, of the Godhead. Look for the Father, look for the work of the Son, and look for the work of the Holy Spirit and experience him in your Bible in new ways. And as you pray, if you have never prayed to God in a Trinitarian way, mm-hmm. try praying to all three persons of the Godhead in different ways. The, the Father who orchestrated this plan to save you, this one who calls you his child, uh, to Jesus, the one who redeems you and sets you free through his death and his resurrection from the cross, the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, helping you, empowering you, leading you, guiding you, filling you with wisdom. And as you pray, maybe even think about focusing on providing some time in your prayer life to the three persons of the Godhead mm-hmm. and just see if it doesn't change the way that you worship him and the way that you experience God's goodness in your life. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us on this. I know we're uh, it's, it can be a little intense, but we believe that by exploring the attributes, by diving in and doing, a, I should say, doing a little deep dive, that we will all uh, be better. We might have more questions, but then with more questions comes more digging and more seeking this God, God. More God, yes, who's seeking him and uh, finding that he is good and that he loves you and he is for you and so thank you so much for joining us uh khalil how can how can people support us in no, other ways that's a great question if they want yeah. to support you <laughs> could always leave us a review wherever you're listening apple Podcasts is especially significant as it helps more people discover the podcast and then you are always invited to become a monthly supporter of any dollar amount you would like through our uh-huh. patreon page which the link is in the show notes And through that, you can continue to help us create a quality show, keep the show free so that more resources and things can come your way. Go to others. We can get quality guests. And Mm -hmm. we do plan eventually to create some Patreon-only content. That is a dream of ours. So if you want to be a supporter of the show, those are two great ways. And then the third, and maybe even the most significant, would be to share this with someone who you think would benefit from it, whether it's they're their new follower of Jesus, there's someone who comes to you with questions, mm-hmm. there's someone you are growing with in Christ with, or someone that you just think might be faith curious and want to engage in a space where they could sit around the table and listen to some of these conversations as well. So thank you so much for your support to this show. It means the world to us. We're always humbled by the fact that you continue to be a part of this with us. So God bless you and may you engage with the God who is triune in new and life-changing ways. 